FBI Radio acknowledges the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation as the original custodians of the land that we broadcast on, and we pay our respects to their elders past, present and future. We also acknowledge the significance of Redfern as a place of strength, resistance, knowledge sharing and storytelling for many communities, and we honour that history. through their music. Out of the Box with Joey Watson on FBI 94.5. Hello, FBI radio listener. Yes, yes, you are listening to this show and it is called Out of the Box. For those playing along for the first time, every Thursday from midday to one, I get to sit down with one guest, chew the fat, talk about some of the records from their life and the stories behind them. Today's guest is Steve Bunbergie Hodawat. He's a radio maker, but you won't hear him stuck in the traffic in the city. As the senior news and current affairs presenter at the Central Australian Aboriginal Media Association, he broadcasted from Alice Springs into the desert, his audience hailing from some of the most remote parts of Australia and some that have been hit hardest by poor government policy. He's currently in Sydney for Audiocraft. It's a podcast festival running tomorrow until Sunday, and you can cop tickets and check the full program on their web- website. Steve is a Ladul man. His people are from Mornington Island off the coast of Queensland. That's where he currently lives and makes radio. But today, Steve, in Sydney, a warm welcome to this show out of the box. <laughs> That's uh, some welcome too. Thanks, Joey. And hi, listeners. <laughs> Steve, let's, um, let's start with Mornington Island where you currently live, where your um, heritage is. What, what's the history of um, Mornington Island from an Aboriginal perspective? Um, yeah, that's a good question, I guess. Well, the La- there's actually three tribal groups there. There's the Ladal, Yankal, and Kaidal people. Uh, the Yankal come from um, the neighbouring um, Denham Island and Forsyth Islands. And there's some, what is it, maybe... 20 odd islands in the Wellesley Island groups and then the Kaidal people come from Bentic Island uh, some people might know them from the famous artworks of Sally Gabori um, her artworks featured in I think it was the Musée du Croix Branly in um, Paris um, but yeah the Ladle people I think would have hung around because the Gulf of Carpentaria actually used to be a giant um, lake um, back in the last ice age or whatever, so we were probably wandering around this giant lake for a while until the sea levels rose, and then um, we've been there ever since. Uh, but, you know, it's interesting having grown up in the desert in Alice Springs, or in Bandwa is uh, one of the Arendah names for it is, um, and realising that there's actually the cultural links between the two regions as well, even though that's thousands of kilometres um, as part of the traditional trade routes as what, well. What are those cultural links? Well, that, yeah, well, that's the um, traditional trade routes. So, um, uh, so the dreaming stories, um, because, you know, even that term itself is is sort of a such a white concept as far as, um, or non-Indigenous concept as far as um, it being something that's detached um it's dreaming it's not real whereas you know um that's our cultural religious beliefs based on 
what you're standing on. People so how could it be more actually real? exchanging goods and services across such a massive distance? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what did that look like? Do you know? <laughs> uh, no, no, of course I don't know. But, um, uh, but I mean, um, yeah, it would have been um, trading, same like anywhere else, trading um, valuable produce and products that you could only get from certain regions so if you lived in the salt water then you're giving shells and um uh, you know um some of the produces or artifacts from there um likewise for the desert you know there's certain woods or rocks um that would only come from those regions so so yeah and sometimes um you know um there was probably warring factions or um or or a bit of trouble going on with um everyone stealing each other's wives we've actually got a dance um there's a little dance um based it's it's more of a comedy one around um um what they call wife stealing what what is the significance of dance for little people yeah well i guess it's it's well similar for um a lot of cultures really doesn't matter um whether they're indigenous or not but um yeah definitely um with ladle culture we um uh the ladle dances the mornington island dances uh, which are now part of the mundian gunana aboriginal corporation um which i worked for up until yesterday um they they were originally called the woomera aboriginal dancers uh, or mornington island dancers people know them as and they uh, were one of the first touring traditional dance groups, Aboriginal dance groups, and performed at the opening of the Sydney Opera House. Um, was that almost 50 years ago now? Um, coming up to the anniversary soon, I think. And um, your father played a role in that. Yeah, yeah, he was he was one of the um, founding founding performers, um, who then went on to become. Um, one of the senior songmen, uh, probably one of the most, or, you know, arguably one of the most renowned uh, songmen, you know, he's sort of that really, I guess, almost stereotypical um, Aboriginal character, you know, the, the old black cowboy with the white beard and big cowboy hat, sort of this looming figure, and um, but also, you know, how he carried himself as well was he he did present himself as you know this charismatic sort of regal figure what sort of upbringing might he have had on Mornington Island yeah well because um because there wasn't much contact and and you know these are these are still what I consider unceded lands you know when you talk about um when activists talk about um, not ceding their sovereignty, you know, um, and, and I'm not denying them, um, their case as well. Uh, but with our homelands, you know, you're talking about places where, where white followers or anyone else barely, barely still touch foot, uh, or, you know, put their footprints in the sand, except for us. So, so did that mean that, I mean, your father and your father's generation were in some way protected from some of the harder policies that were applied to Indigenous people on the mainland? No, uh, well, yeah, to a degree. Yeah, I mean, they grew up in the bush traditional way. Um, 
the township on Mornington Island, for people who don't know, is called Gunana, and that's on the southwestern edge of the island, um, where you've got about a thousand people, and um, and our homelands, Baradkia, are up on the um, eastern tip. The island's about 100 k's long and probably about shape of a uh, maybe a fat kangaroo or a wallaby. Um, and so we're up on the nose or mouth region, and um, and yeah, so so they so we're sort of in the more pristine area, or you know, with the least um, least contact, or so yeah, I think um, they would have. You know, when you see some of the archive photos and everything, see how strong the people were, even in those early days of um, settlement or, you know, well, settlement, quote, unquote, um, you know, you can see people with the market gardens and you see how strong they are on these big sailing boats and then the, um, what do you call it, those Catalina seaplanes coming in and, yeah, yeah, the men were really, really fit and strong and these beautiful women in these old um you know in those old 50s 60s sort of nuclear family um dresses mm. with this you know glowing golden brown skin yeah um even those days were good but um yeah they still they still lock kids up in the dormitories um until the, until the weekends um so there was a bit of that um dormitory days they call it but which is part of the stolen generations well, with that, let's go to some music. What should we play uh, off the top, Steve? All right. Uh, well, the first one I've got up is um, uh, Tupac Shakur with White Man's World. And what's the story behind this one? Yeah, well, I guess, um, you know, growing up um, without, you know, not being around family much um, and, you know, you're sort of trying to find out a bit more of... Um, you know what your range is about your identity um for us you know we st- we were into heavy metal and stuff and and even you know public enemy and body count back in the day uh but tupac really brought me back to sort of um go back to hip hop again so and white man's world you know sort of sums it up tupac white man's world a language warning on this one for you fpi radio listener
white man's world. And all I heard was. Some classic hip-hop for you there, FBI Radio listener. That was Tupac and White Man's World. It brought in to FBI Today by Steve Bumbergee Hodder. What the radio man from way, way up in Mornington Island uh, off the coast of the of, of Queensland in the Gulf of Carpentaria is in Sydney for Audiocraft. And today he is my guest on Out of the Box. Steve, where whereabouts was your mum born, and how did she end up in Australia? 
Uh, yeah, mum was born in Nottingham, um, England, <laughs> obviously. Uh, but she came over to Australia in the 60s uh, with her then-husband um, as what they call a 10-pound pom. Um, so um, sailed over on one of them um, big ships, I guess. Uh, they ended up in Victoria and um, had a couple of daughters, my our older sisters. And, but then I think uh, the relationship sort of waned um, and I can't remember exactly what the reasons were but I know that mum ended up in Melbourne and was doing a bit more, maybe it was that spark in her, I don't know, um, you know, she's got such a big heart that maybe she couldn't ignore it and started doing some more social justice and activism work uh, with the Aboriginal Justice League. Uh, but then the dancers were touring around schools and um, and she saw the dancers performing. And, and one of those dancers was your father. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess... <laughs> I guess, um, yeah, I guess he's hard to miss. <laughs> <laughs> Have you heard the story for about the moment that they first met or? Um, oh, not exactly. It's a bit, it's, it's a bit of a, um, oh, geez, what would you call it? Maybe one of those messy love triangles. Okay. Tell me about that. <laughs> <laughs> Who was the third person in the triangle? Yeah. So, um, so that was, um, that was my dad's eldest brother. Um, so in Aboriginal way, uh, you follow your, um, you follow gender lines. So, um, so your father, all of his brothers are your fathers. So, um, so yeah, so we call them Gunthers. Yeah. So in some way, your mum... <laughs> Uh, a white woman, British woman from Nottingham, come comes to Australia, and is dating both of your fathers from the Gulf of Carpentaria from an island at the same time. Uh, yes, I don't think she did it intentionally, <laughs> but yeah, I think um, the older brother or the older father, um, Joseph Joey, um, was um, stealing stealing her letters. <laughs> to his brother so um i think there was some yeah some sabotage going on yeah <laughs> so how does um she then end up moving um to the gulf of carpentaria up to mornington island yeah i guess i guess it was um you know sometimes you just get a, a calling and um i think she sort of lobbied to work up there and and you know, it's maybe it's something a lot of people want to do is just sort of, oh, be be the saviors and this and that. And I don't think Mum was sort of um, like one of those overbearing allies or whatever. But and it's not like we don't need allies, um, of course. Um, when, you know, you won't solve anything if you don't um, uh, let your friends help. I guess. Uh, but but no yeah you know she just moved up there and then uh, I think she started working with the dancers and then back then it was still under mission control 
Um, so what it was run by mean? the that was run by the Lutheran Church, um, and then this is back in Joby Peterson era. So you're talking um, virtually apartheid um, Very Queensland. Very impressive Queensland premiere yeah. for this is the eighties and up to the early nineties. Yeah, and um, and so they ended up taking over um, a couple of the. Um, uh, missions and creating shires and mum was there for that so she got kicked off the island um, when the council started up um, but yeah I mean um, since then you know she's worked um, she's, she's worked across multiple um, states uh, working in Aboriginal communities well that's somehow tied in you're born or you spend the first very early years of your life um, on Lado country in Mornington Island, but then you end up in the desert. How does that happen? Yeah, I guess it's it, it's been it, it's actually been a big question for us um, growing up. Was sort of that sense of um, what are, what are we doing here? Um, so yeah, I mean, yeah, we really grapple with that question about why Mum moved us, and you know, I think she probably holds some. Um, um, possibly some regrets on it now, but I think she really wanted to make sure that we got a got a good education, um, and so we moved to Cairns when we were three, um, and then moved to Alice Springs or Mbandua when we were um, a few years later uh, in 1986, <laughs> um, and I think it was the same calling she had again. She just wanted to find out more about the this country this um some of the different first nations there uh she worked out at utopia who virtually lived next door to um rosalie kunoth monks who was famous as playing Jeddah in first color film in australia um you know she worked down on the anangu Puchinjara yankajara lands um in northern south australia uh she campaigned against the Jabaluka uranium mine um, up in Kakadu. Um, then there was the anti-intervention. Yeah, which um, we'll get to that later. But a woman yeah. that couldn't be tied down. <laughs> what, what do we want to play now in tribute to your mother? Yeah, well, I guess um, mum, um, you know, she's sort of, I don't know whether it's being young, you always sort of think people are older. But, yeah, I always remember gr- grappling with um you know as people do your parents dying so but she's still around kicking on at 80 so this one's for mum it's um one of her favorite singers bob dylan and one of yours too i think uh with knocking on heaven's door (laughs) guilty (laughs) enjoy Knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door 
Bob Dylan there knocking on heaven's door brought into FBI today by Steve uh, Bunjabi Hoda Watts this show is out of the box he is a radio man we are making radio for a few uh, moments longer Steve I want to ask you uh, I, I want to take go to Alice Springs now what, what sort of legal regime did Aboriginal people live under in Alice Springs uh, before the 1960s because this kind of informed the shape of the town and the um, environment in which you then grew up there yeah I mean um, well as we said before you know we moved to Alice Springs um, in 86 um, and being Lado man obviously you know that's not our country and um, uh, not really our people even though um, you know there might have been um cultural and trade links um in the past um so yeah you know more more like a say a aboriginal immigrant in a way um but yeah i mean uh growing up there obviously you start to learn um history of the town and and you know it's it's obvious that there's these town camps uh so there's um uh 20 odd town camps aboriginal town camp uh uh sort of little mini townships um based around the town and they were born because uh there was actually a curfew on aboriginal people um in the past so they had to get out of the um main cbd pretty much um by nightfall um so yeah so instead this, of uh, returning right back to country which could be what thousands or hundreds of kilometers sorry Mm. What they'd set up camps just on the outskirts of Alice Springs. Yeah, exactly. Which was basically the desert, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and that's obviously, um, you know, extremely hot in the summer and freezing cold in the winters. Uh, but yeah, eventually, um, some some of the younger men got together and started to, you know. Um, drive around and deliver water and uh firewood and services set up um tin tin shanty huts um or humpies and um and then eventually the town camps were born um and these have you know um gradually uh become the town's grown around them so um so yeah you've still got Aboriginal communities, they're still classified as Aboriginal communities, um, even though they're in the middle of a regional centre. What was the town camp that you grew up in? 
Um, well, I, I I didn't grow up in a town camp. But you spent a um, lot of time. Per se, but... Um, uh, but yeah, definitely, um, definitely linking in um, to a couple of the town camps, more specifically. Um, well, yeah, yeah, I linked in with heavily with um, some of the Aranda ones. So Aranda are the main um, language group uh, around the Alice Springs region. Uh, but then you've got, you know. Um, You've got dialects of that as well. So there's Western Arundel, which is out towards Indari, Hermansburg, where um, Albert Namatjur is from. Um, southern is Ginger Border, Santa Teresa, and then Central is more around the Alice Springs area. So, uh, but the one I linked to was the Hidden Valley Town Camp, um, which ironically, you know, is where um, um, you know a couple of horrible um tragic incidents occurred and then ironically backs onto the alice springs golf course <laughs> mm. um so yeah it's um it's almost bizarre in a way but just sort of typifies that sort of cultural coalface that it can be as well how did you encounter the cultural coalface when you were growing up I, I mean there is a thing in alice springs i've i've been a couple of times and there is a very uh, almost kind of visible uh, friction in that, in that between white Alice Springs and black Alice Springs, and that there just that there, there, there seems to be very limited cohesion. Did you feel that as a child? Yeah, it is that sort of unspoken tension. Probably um, as a child, maybe you're a bit more innocent or, or ignorant through the innocence. Um, so it didn't seem as much of an issue, but yeah, I mean, when mum was still working out at Utopia, uh, we were at the boarding school and, and yeah, thinking back, there was, you know, still a lot of, uh, racism we did go through as kids, but, um, you encounter yeah. it personally. Oh yeah. 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 Well, what, what did it look like? What, what happened to you? Oh, uh, uh, it's it's probably just getting into fights from name calling, um, taunting, you know, because um, because even the even the cattle station um, kids had to come in for boarding school as well. So um, so yeah, you know, it was it was almost like um, um, you know the politics that that everyone else went through was just sort of transferred onto the kids. Um, and yeah, yeah, it's just basic sort of, um, uh, racist name calling and, and the, um, feuding that starts from that. What should we play now for Alice Springs, Steve? Um, yeah, well, uh, yeah, growing up in Alice, um, you know, we, we only had ABC TV until, um, the late 80s, and then um, Imparja TV came along. It was the first Aboriginal TV station. And one of the songs, they always played Aboriginal video clips, music clips, and one of them was um, uh, uh, Do You Want the Coloured Stone? Oh, or we go with the um, Warumpi Band. Well, let's go with the Warumpi Band. What, what, when do you remember first hearing that song? Yeah, well, that one was a bit of an anthem for us because I mean, it's it's an anthem for a lot of people, really. Because you know, um, non-indigenous or, or or 
or Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander. Uh, I think people really um, warm to it. But for us, you know, it was like we literally grew up in Alice Springs, um, which is in the lyrics and dreaming of our island home. So, yeah, that's a, that's a big one for us. Waiting for me, my island home, 
If you didn't already hear it and it wasn't made clear to you, that song right there, the Warumpi band, My Island Home, uh, brought into FBI Radio today by radio maker uh, Steve uh, Bunjabi Holowat. He is in town from uh, far north, uh, Queens, off the coast of North Queensland, from um, Mornington Island. He is in Sydney for Audiocraft Festival. The podcast festival is happening uh, tomorrow until Sunday. You can cop a ticket to that one on their website. That's Audiocraft. Uh, Steve, talking about media, tell me about the day that an SBS film crew came through Alice Springs. Um, this is when you were young, when you were much younger. That kind of set the trajectory for your course in media. Yeah, um, probably going back. Yeah, it is almost well, be about two decades, twenty years ago now. Um, so yeah, I was uh, a young dad, about twenty years old, and um, uh, yeah. I was um, also a client at the Alice Springs Youth Accommodation and Support Services and they sort of rounded us up or got us together um, because they wanted to talk to young people about or they wanted us to talk to um, a film crew from SBS, uh, the Insight program about mandatory sentencing which was um um yeah a hot hot um topic policy um in the territory then and um, what exactly was mandatory sentencing what what um legislation were we talking about uh so pretty much three strikes and you're out or any um any property offenses then um directly to jail or 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 theft and why were you in the youth hostel being asked about that um well just as a client i guess they wanted um to um pick young people's brains on it um and so yeah i guess um i guess having um having an opinion <laughs> i guess uh i just wanted to um um talk on it too uh but but the fixer the guy they had sort of touring them around um uh he ended up pulling us up afterwards and inviting us to come and do um a filmmaking course uh which was specifically for um Arinda town campers um mainly from hidden valley town camp um but he singled me out because he wanted um wanted me to be involved and i guess help in a way i guess to share that voice and um i guess that's what i've tried to do must since have, must have been a particularly strong answer <laughs> have you uh had you thought about the prospect of going into a career in media before that uh not so, not so much, I don't think, because um, I don't know. I mean, it's like looking at my twenty-one-year-old daughter now. It's like you know, you see you see you making the same mistakes or doing the same things, and maybe not really 
knowing about trying to look out wider or more broadly and so you know you yeah yeah i guess um i guess no <laughs> tell me about the central australian aboriginal media association what do they do yeah or karma as we know it. um aitken fm um but yeah also it was it was born as a um aboriginal radio station um and and then became yeah an immediate a media association uh, production company, film production company, um, made some a- outstanding works. What did you do for them? Um, well, originally I started there after my daughter was born back in 98, um, just on CDP, so that's like work for the doll um, for Aboriginal people back then. Um, but, you know, still... That was um, an experience. Get to work alongside Alan Collins, Warwick Thornton. You know these are um, award-winning um, cinematographers and filmmakers now. Um, so yeah, yeah, valuable experience. And then um, ended up uh, joining the radio team in two thousand and five, um, and was with them. Um, up until 2010, but then still did uh, uh, the reggae rebels on the weekends um, voluntarily until we moved back up to the island. What do you What do you have to do to um, broadcast for a for a central desert Aboriginal audience? Like I'm I'm interested to know and like what you know as a radio maker myself what editorially like what what interests your audience or what 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 were you thinking about in terms of creating radio in that environment yeah it's probably a a question you ask yourself a fair bit about oh yep how do we go for audience here because it's so diverse in a way um often often yeah if we're interviewing someone um uh, it'd be about relishing the opportunity to give, let them talk in language as well. Um, you know, even though you might not understand um, the language yourself, and we're talking about, you know, upwards of um, dozens of particular language dialects as well. So, um, so yeah, um, so it's not like you can know them all. Um, but, yeah, just letting people... Um, have their chance to have their say how they want to. Being able to do that in their own language obviously helps um, in being able to communicate. And um, it was something I I learned doing that, that, you know, it's really what we should be. It shouldn't be up to us to say how they're presented. We should wear the vehicle for them to be able to share that information with each other. Um, so, yeah, that 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 pretty much sums it up i guess let's go to another song what what should we play now uh yep oh so now we'll go with um uh black boy from colored stone
coloured stone there. Some classic Australian rock brought into FBI today by Steve Bunjaby. Hold a what? Uh, he's my guest on Out of the Box. He's a radio man uh, from Mornington Island, right off the co- no, course, uh, coast of North Queensland. Steve, in 2007, uh, when you were still in the desert, Tony Abbott, then Health Minister, came on television proposing that every child in the Northern Territory receive health, health checks. What was behind that? Um, okay, well, that was part of... I guess his um, elaboration or or response to the um, Northern Territory intervention, um, which was the I think the legislation was actually called the National Northern Territory Emergency Response. Um, what were they? What was the um, alleged emergency within that legislation? Yeah, so it was pretty much just based around, um, uh, yeah, sexual, sexual and um, sexual abuse and physical abuse of um, Aboriginal children in remote communities. Um, so the legislation was uh, focused on Aboriginal communities in the Northern Territory. Um, but some people might not realise that it also included um, Queensland as well, um, Aboriginal communities in Queensland. Uh, so some of the legislation there, all the powers were covered in there. Mm. Um, so the the accusation is that what there were there was widespread kind of pedophilia or sexual abuse yeah. in communities throughout the desert was. Was that true to what you were observing as a journalist that was working in those communities, possibly more than any other journalist in the country? Well, no, no, of course it wasn't true, and um, you know that's been dispelled time and again. Um, I know um, Chris Graham from New Matilda and Amy McGuire have um, have done a workshop on breaking down how. Um, how uh, some of those fallacies um, and misinformation that uh, the then Indigenous Affairs Minister Mal Brough, um, uh claimed. Um, but even personally, you know, hearing Abbott say that um, about, you know, you're talking about my kids and you want a doctor to touch my kids... <laughs> to see if they've been messed with <laughs> and and you know to have someone say that and threaten that you know it 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 um yeah it really really hurts you and um and you know got to keep in mind that I we never really lived under a lot of that um draconian me- measures that um the town campers and people from remote communities had to. So, what were the measures that were imposed on the communities? Um, yeah, so it relates around, um, and you know, it may not seem like much, but they're talking about having signs up at out the front of the communities saying, "You can't have this, you can't have that." Da da da, as as if implying that they did. So it's like having a sign at the front of your house saying, "You know, oh, you you can't have mur- you, you know." N- 
you're not allowed to bring murderers in here. You're not allowed to bring rapists in here. And you, how would that make you feel to know that, you know, someone is suggesting that this is how it is for you? Um, I think they've changed a lot with the signs, but um, the income management is still there, um, which is um, known as the basics card or got the nickname as the racist card. Um, so, you know... You could only do your shopping at, uh, I think it was Coles or Woolies. At one stage, there was even uh, a separate line just for Aboriginal people using that card. So, you know, just... Um, and this is still going under Stronger Futures, so they just changed the name, but it's still going. How do, say, like the grandmothers respond to, to this as it happened to their communities? I mean, what were you documenting as a journalist? Yeah, I mean, we came... Well, um, yeah, even working for Karma, we came down to Canberra um, and it just accidentally fell at the same time as the apology uh, to the Stolen Generations in 2008. Um, we came to cover the protest um, national convergence um, against the intervention um, uh, less than a year after. Um, and so it just happened to coincide with the uh, apology to the stolen generations but yeah you had um communities and representatives from all across the country all from um various nations all joining forces to try to um stop it back then and um even lobby government or other political parties parliamentarians um and it's still going um 11 years later with that bleak note, let's uh, play another track. What can we finish this uh, episode of Out of the Box with? Something fitting. Yeah, well, um, yeah, pretty apt really for this um, for this time now, especially after the election. It's um, uh, Rage Against the Machine with classic um, Take the Power Back. And with that, I'd like to, of course, give a warm thanks to my producers, Bree Jones, Nicole DiPaolo, and uh, Steve Watt on this National national Reconciliation Week. Thank you very much for being my guest on Out of the Box today. Thank you.
But the lesson plan he can't recall The student's eyes don't perceive the lies Mounting up every fucking wall Closure was well kept I guess he fears playing the fool The place the students sit And listen to that bullshit that he'd learned in school Europe podcast is produced by FBI Radio in Sydney. Find more at fbiradio.com slash podcasts.